I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn once again to Isaiah chapter 9. No one saw them leave the stronghold that night. Three figures, barely outlined along the horizon, slipped out of base camp on a secret mission. In fact, this mission was so secret, it was so clandestine that even their commanding general was unaware of the mission or the target. Failure was not an option. The enemy was everywhere. They made it to the enemy-occupied village at a good pace. They had to go about 20 kilometers, or if you're using military language, 20 clicks. They made it to the village, but that was only part of the, the mission. Then they had to find their way, ducking through alleys, hiding behind random objects, each one having the other's back, watching for the enemy, making sure that they timed their move across the street so that the sentries wouldn't see them. Finally, they made it. They were able to find and secure the package. But now, they had to get back across the 20 kilometers, across rough terrain. They had to get back across this terrain, dodging the enemy, making sure they weren't caught. And they had to make it back to base camp before the light dawned. At this point, having traveled many miles, their muscles ached. They were exhausted. They were dehydrated. They they were seeing things, but they had to make it. They had to keep pushing themselves. They had to keep encouraging one another. They had to finish the mission. They were trained for this. And as the first rays of sunlight peeked over the eastern sky, they trudged into base camp. Everyone was surprised to see them because no one knew they were gone. They came into those familiar surroundings and there was this resurgence of energy in their body as they knew they were home, they were safe. They approached the general's headquarters and being known very well by the general and being known very well by his guards, they were immediately, without question, granted access. access. And there, there they presented the package to the surprised and stunned general. And in a moment, he was keenly aware of how devoted his warriors were to the cause. The story I've told you a little less dramatized could be found in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 15 to 19. But I've told it to tell you a little bit of an, give you an illustration of, of, of a word in our passage today. The story in 1 Chronicles is of three of David's, King David's, or not king yet, David's mighty men. And 1 Chronicles chapter 11 outlines the mighty men of David. There were 30 men that were mighty. These were the top three. You see, they had heard David say, If only I had a drink of water from the well in Bethlehem. 
and literally risking life and limb, they went out and they found the well in Bethlehem some 20 kilometers away and they got that water and did not use it for themselves. They carried that wineskin of water and they carried it back to David. They wanted to bless their general. The village of Bethlehem was overrun by the Philistine army. The, the area between where they were, a place called the Stronghold, was, was overrun by Philistines, but they did it. They made it. Now, we're not going to be in First Chronicles today. We're going to actually be in Isaiah chapter 9. And we're considering the second of four names or four descriptors of the one who is to come. Last week we introduced the topic and we were reminded how the name Emmanuel, God with us, was a reminder to a very selfish and a very bad king named Ahaz, uh, a king that in his way of ruling did not reflect in any way, shape, or form his, re, his sense of God's presence or his reliance upon God. We discovered in parts of Isaiah leading up to our passage at hand that God had a plan, a plan of victory, a plan of peace that would be revealed to his people in his time. That God was going to restore his people, that he was going to bring them out from stumbling in the darkness and bring them out and back into the light. And in a time in which he would present his chosen king and they would follow him. And we saw that this king to come was characterized by this multifaceted name. A name that we began to discover the depth of meaning to the words wonderful counselor. One who would do great works that are hard to fathom. One who also would fully understand and empathize and be able to give guidance to all that would follow him. Today, we look at the second aspect of this one. Today we see yet another description and it's simply stated in Isaiah 9-6 as he will be called or his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. When we think of mighty in our human perspective, we think of the warriors like those three way back when who risked life and limb to go get something for their general, to go on a mission. Uh, from a human perspective, we see it as personal human strength. But what we're going to discover today, it's not just about human strength and valiance. There's so much more. And yet, I want to reverse how we look at these terms today, and here's why. In the Hebrew Scripture, if you were to translate this, word, this phrase right here literally, it would, it would literally read, God, the Mighty One. His name will be called eternal. Uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, God, the Mighty One. And that's going to guide us today. So very simply stated, nothing I say here today as far as bullet points is going to be anything sign-worthy out front. You know, it's, just, it's not going to be something you're going to, oh, I want to put that on a plaque in my home. It's just very simple today. And the first thing that we're reminded of when we see this is the one to come is God. I don't think we can minimize that. The one to come is God. 
I hear a lot of talk this time of year. You hear a lot of talk this time of year about the baby Jesus. And, oh, we're going to pray to the baby Jesus. And it's all about the baby Jesus. And let's, let's remember the baby Jesus. Yes, remember the baby Jesus. But if you leave the baby Jesus in the manger, then you have taken away everything he came for. We can't leave the baby Jesus in the manger. Oh, yeah, it's, it's possibly cute and all to talk about baby Jesus, but it minimizes the truth. Jesus is, as Isaiah said, a, a child is born. He is the child who was born. He is the son who was given. But when you see him as the child who was born, let him grow up. He grew he developed, as we saw last week. He, he became like us so that he could empathize with us, so that he could be our perfect sacrifice. And never forget the responses of those who saw Jesus at the beginning. When they saw him at the very beginning, he was far more to them than just a baby in a feeding trough. The shepherds, they went out and they told everyone what the angel had told them. Because the angel said unto you, this day is born a Savior. They knew that he was the Deliverer. Two years later, these magi, these ones who studied the stars, came from the east on a long journey and when they found him and when they came to the place where the child was remember he was two years old think about two-year-olds because he was like us but yet without sin but he was still a curious two-year-old they bowed down and worshiped him what Isaiah presents to us in just two words is an amazing picture of God stepping into our world. The word that's translated God is just two letters. It's the word L. We, we have it over there on our, our uh, banner that's hanging up over there. It says Emmanuel. That's, uh, that word L always is coupled with a descriptor. Emmanuel, God with us. That word uh, is used often when describing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Genesis chapter 16, Abram's handmaiden, who outside of God's will has been given to him, and she finds that she's with child, and Sarah then begins to mistreat her, and she decides, I'm leaving the camp, and she runs away, and God comes to her in, in Genesis 16 as she's feeling alone and she's feeling distraught and he promises her a son and <coughs> excuse me and he promises her a nation from that son and as she hears the voice of God she calls the place the God who sees me or El Roy God sees just the next chapter in Genesis 17, Yahweh introduces himself again to Abraham, comes again to Abraham, and he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. So God is accompanied by this descriptor. His name will be called God, the Mighty One. Why is that important? Why would I make such a big deal over that? How does that make a difference to us? 
And very simply, it's this. Isaiah reminds us very clearly in this passage, some 800 years before the birth of Jesus, that the one to come is God. God is going to step out of glory and into time and space and into human form. We celebrate that reality. We read John chapter 1 and we read in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we go on down to verse 14 of that great first chapter of John, and John says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul would write to the Colossians in Colossians 1.19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. We're not just celebrating baby Jesus. At this time of year, we are confronted with the fact that the God of the universe stepped into our lives, as it were. Let that sink in today. Let that really impact you today. God with us. God one of us. God in human form. This is a time of traditions for so many of us. So many traditions and things that we do. You know, we always have a, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things. Years ago, before dietary changes took place, we always would go out and buy peppermint ice cream at Christmas. You can only get Briar's peppermint ice cream. This is an unsolicited uh, commercial. You can only get Briar's peppermint ice cream at Christmas time. And oh, we would have peppermint ice cream. And you know, another thing that we used to do when our kids were younger, we lived in Indiana, and we would uh, on Christmas Day because we our families were we were far from family. We went to the Holiday Inn in Warsaw, Indiana and we had Christmas breakfast together. Uh, that's where my daughters remind me that that's when they learned to drink coffee because I would allow them as young children to have one cup of decaf coffee and, and all. So there's traditions. One of my traditions personally is I take time to reflect and I tend to go back to, to one of, uh, just a great little book written many years ago by Max Lucado and it's entitled God came near. And one of my favorite chapters in that book is entitled 25 Questions for Mary. I'm not going to read all 25 to you, but here are a few. Did you ever feel awkward teaching him about the world he created? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the creator God in your crib right there, right there, and, and, you know, let me, son, let's look at Genesis chapter one. Let's look at the first, let's look at what God did. Did you ever feel weird about that, Mary? Or here's another one. Did it ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under your roof? My favorite one is this. Did you ever think, that's God eating my soup? We don't just celebrate a birth. We celebrate being visited by God himself. He is God, the mighty one. And that's our second point. 
He is the mighty God. Come back to my beginning story that I made up. They, they, those, those three warriors, they stand out. They took risks, and they did. And if you read about his mighty men, there's so many things they did. The, the things that they did, they're, they're like, warriors, yeah! You know, we, they took great risks. They were valiant. But we need to make sure that we don't limit our understanding of might to just human strength. The word translated mighty is, does mean powerful or strong, but it can also refer to military and political power or force. Sometimes it is translated warrior, but we find it used of God more often. Deuteronomy 7.21, Moses reminds the nation, they do not need to be afraid because in their midst is a great, or that's our word, mighty, and awesome God. Wow, that should, that should just impact you and me. There is nothing I need to fear because in my midst, and as I understand the scriptures to teach from now a New Testament background, in my person, the mighty God, the Holy Spirit indwells me. The great and awesome God is part of me. The great and awesome God is in our midst. The mighty and awesome God is here. I need not fear. We see sometimes this word when it amplifies the description. Psalm 24, 8, we're told that Yahweh is strong and mighty in battle. But then in Psalm 89, verses 13 and 14, we have a unique balance. Your arm is endowed with might. Your hand is strong. Your right hand exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. See, we don't often, when we think of a mighty warrior, we don't often think of righteous justice, love, and faithfulness. When we think of a mighty warrior, we think somebody goes out and, you know, doesn't take any prisoners. But God is perfectly balanced. Yes, he's a mighty God. Yes, he's an all-powerful God. Yes, he's a God that can, you know, my mom used to say, you know, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Well, God can literally do that. But he's also a loving God, and he's a faithful God, and he's a merciful God. And we cannot separate the two. God's might is directly related to God's righteousness and justice. God's might is perfectly balanced with God's love and faithfulness. We see that actually in Isaiah 9-7. Take a look at that with me. Isaiah 9-7 says, Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Why does the Lord Almighty, why does the God, God the Mighty One, need the might so that he can establish and uphold his throne with justice and righteousness? A mighty God is a God who's able. A mighty God is a God who's able to guide, to strengthen, to uphold, to truly bring about justice and righteousness. And yet he's a wise God because he's a wonderful counselor who invites and guides and directs us to be part of his work. In fact, just a couple of chapters over from where we are today in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, we read this. 
the spirit of the Lord, well, let me pick it up in verse 1. A shoot will come, out, come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. This is speaking of, in very uh, imaginative forms, Jesus in the future. And here's how it describes him. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Remember what Jesus said when he spoke to his family and friends in the synagogue there in Nazareth? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has sent me to release the captives. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Do you get the balance there? Do you get the balance? And, and oh, he's the mighty one, but he's perfectly balanced. Now, as I was working through all of this, and it's not the first time I've preached this series, I just stepped back and I really think that the Holy Spirit brought to mind that reminder that I've heard so many questions over the years. I bet you've heard them too. Questions with people who wonder, well, if God is mighty, where was he when? And you fill in the blank. If God is mighty, where was he when my mom died? If God is mighty, where was he when my loved one contracted cancer? If God was mighty, where was he in Oxford, Michigan last week when that boy was opening fire? If God's mighty, where is he then? Why is there trauma? Why didn't the mighty God come through then? And, and you know, it's, it's relatively easy in an environment such as this where I'm talking and you're listening to, we can all come up with the, the trite little answers. And the fact is, sometimes words don't really satisfy. But I want you to remember this. My inability or your inability to make sense of the unfairness or difficulty of life does not minimize the power of God. Mighty God does not exercise his eternal power in the same way for all people. Oh, yes, there are times when that unexpected check comes in the mail. There, there are times when the doctor sits down and says, the cancer is gone. There are times when the prodigal comes home and asks for forgiveness and wants to restore the relationship. There are times when the abuser confesses and takes responsibility for their actions. There are times when the marriage is healed. There are times when the layoff does not impact your family. There are times when the seatbelts worked and saved somebody's life. And we say, what a mighty God we serve. And that's true. But other times we stand at the grave and we curse the mental illness that caused someone to take their own life. Other times we stand and we watch the news and we wonder what brought a student to open fire on his classmates. 
we see the pain of our loved one as we, the, the effects of the chemo seem worse than the disease that they're saddled with. We get the pink slip. The marriage crumbles. The child that we reared and poured our lives into breaks off the call and doesn't want to talk anymore. And we're prone to say, God, what good are you? Where is mighty God then? And I just want to remind you today that mighty God has not moved, nor has he forgotten you. Because mighty God quietly gives you just enough strength that you did not know you had to make it through one more hour, one more day, one more week, one more month. Mighty God surrounds you with people Surrounds you with, with people who listen and sit with you and quietly minister to you. Mighty God lets you pound on the door of heaven with angry prayers and he doesn't reject you. He listens and he lets you get it out. And if you, like I, have ever asked God, where are you now? I encourage you to just take a glance back in the past and look at where you are today compared to where you were then. He brought you through it. Step by step. Maybe not in huge miraculous ways, but just a word of encouragement, just a nudge, just a friend's arm around you, just someone assuring you of prayer. Just a text at the right time that said, hey, I'm thinking about you today. How are you doing? He brought you through it. And yet I know. I know that the pain is sometimes still very raw. And the memories are fresh. And they crop up when you don't want them to. And the grief may hit you like a, tidal, like a wave that you weren't watching for. I get that. But in the midst of all of that, mighty God is still there. Emmanuel, God with us, is still there. Mighty God works in each of our lives in different ways. There's a, a song, as I was thinking about this, that I, I tend to think in songs. Uh, it was written quite a few years ago by a, a Christian artist named Scott Crippane. The title of the song is, Sometimes He Calms the Storm. And the chorus is very poignant. It says, sometimes he calms the storm with a whisper, peace be still. He can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and the waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. Remember something in this passage? Something that we tend to forget. The audience for this passage was King Ahaz. It started back in chapter 7, and he's still the audience. Everything that Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7 regarding the northern kingdom and the threats and all that was going to happen, it all came to fruition. But you know what? That didn't even budge Ahaz. He stayed on his own selfish course. And it's interesting when the Old Testament prophets rehearse 
the nature of God's mighty acts, they tend to go back and begin with the Exodus and God coming through Moses as his representative and coming to Pharaoh and showing him time after time after time his power and his might. And and after all of the things that Pharaoh saw, nothing moved him. In fact, even after the death of his firstborn and the firstborn throughout the land, he got to a point where, oh, whoa, 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 we can't let them go. And he sent his armies back out after them again. Nothing moved him. And as I thought about that, I realized another fundamental principle of faith is important here. We have to trust the mighty God. It is when I fully trust God that I realize that he is mighty God. You see, if I don't trust God, then I don't believe he's mighty. If I don't trust God, then I don't believe he's able. If I don't trust God, then I really don't believe in his salvation. I don't believe in his ability to to change anything. David, the general, in our opening story, was at that point in his life hiding for his very life. He had been on the run for over 10 years. In fact, it would be roughly 17 years from the day that Samuel came, dumped a bunch of oil on his head and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. It would be 17 years before that came true. He was trusting that the God who had anointed him would come through. In fact, he trusted God's plan so much that twice he had opportunity to eliminate Saul. And he chose to wait on God. And his statement was, I will not touch the head of the Lord's anointing. And on that day, when those three soldiers came into the camp with a skin of water from the well at Bethlehem, you know, there's nothing like water from home. You know, I, my, my grandmother had a house on East River Mountain in Bluefield, West Virginia. And I had gone up several times with my uncles because the water that came into her kitchen sink came from a mountain spring, went through two filters and came down. It was the best ever. There's just nothing like that. Or maybe you might say there's nothing like a Chicago-style pizza. We'll let you go with what you want. But there's nothing like, and David took that water, and he was not going to be selfish. In fact, what he did And this was not something that would have made these men angry. It showed how much he cared about all of his men. He would not do something for himself that they couldn't have. He poured it out on the ground as a drink offering to the Lord. And his men who risked their lives stood in a unique sense of awe at the humility of their leader. You see, David fully believed that God was a mighty God and that God would bring about his promises in his way and in his time. When we consider the character of the name of the one Isaiah promised, we know today that that promise would be fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. The Word would become flesh. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world would enter our world. He's the only one worthy of our worship. He's God. He's mighty. And it's only by faith that we see his great work. 
If you don't trust him, you won't see him. I want to leave you with this. My mentor used to describe faith as an acrostic. Some of them don't work. This one really does. The acrostic is very simple. Faith, forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. What are you holding on today that is not of God? What are you clinging to that you know is of your own making, that you know is something that you're just going to hang on to? I can't let go of that. That's what gets in the way of faith. It's when we, as I've said so many times, hold everything up to God in an open hand that we see mighty God, that we see him at work. The one to come is God, and he's mighty, and I see him when I trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this reminder from your word about your character, the character of Jesus. We've seen that he's a wonderful counselor, and today we're reminded he's mighty God. May we truly trust in mighty God forsaking everything else and trusting only him. And I realize, Lord, that's not a one and done. It is a daily process. Help us as we journey to the cross through Christmas. Help us to have our eyes opened to see you yet again, to believe that you are able, and to lean on you. In Jesus' name, amen.